Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. I hope things are great for everyone out there. I'm the CEO of Leadershipity and AIM NIL Academy, and I am thrilled today to have my good friend, Christine McCarran. Christine, how are you doing? Doing awesome, Trent. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. I feel like almost guilty about it. <laughs> so it's uh, great to have you on. I have got the queen bee of the beehive brokerage with me, Boston real estate guru, Christine McCarran. Christine, you're an author of the real estate book, Empower Your Inner Millionaire, which has got to be a fabulous read. I have not read this book yet, but I feel like I do need to empower my inner millionaire for sure. <laughs> so I'm very interested in reading this book. Then I'm also, uh, you own real estate all over Boston, co-working space, you own some vacation stuff up in New Hampshire in the White Mountains. You are busy. You're a busy woman. A busy bee. <laughs> a busy bee, yeah. Let's talk about the bees. Like, why the bee? Tell me the history of the bee for uh, the broker. It's, you know, I kind of got the idea when I was walking on the beach, and I always think that's a good idea. And it was like, you know, be kind, be whatever. But really, when I found out, when I, I guess, re-remembered that the bumblebee technically cannot fly, it's impossible, I said, oh, yeah, yeah that's definitely the name. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I love this. And, you know, this, there was this old children's book, right, on the bee, uh, about this story, right? You know, it's, it's all, it's incorrect, like the bee's wings are too small, the body's too big, it's just, you know, it's actually physically impossible, like physiologically this should not work. And so you're like, oh, that's interesting. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and there it goes on, right? They're all around outside of my house right now, like it's crazy. And so I always love this idea of, the bumblebee and this children's book talked about how the parents are home and they're in the hive and the kids being told like, Hey, you're not supposed to fly. You can't fly. Your wings are too small. Your body's too big. Like you can't do this. Like he goes on this venture home journey through these just trials and tribulations. Like, well, why don't you just fly home, son? Like, you know what? It's a really long walk, man. <laughs> it's a terrible walk. I'm, I'm not built for this thing. They're like, uh, yeah, but you can fly. Can't you? You've always been able to fly. You've flown all every day until today. So what just happened? Like, huh, I don't know. I guess I can fly. Like, so it was uh, such a good book for our kids, and they all loved it. They all loved it. So man, you're an author. You're a podcaster. Two podcasts. Yeah, I love podcasts. Bringing, you know, bringing some knowledge to the world, which I love. And you know, selfishly speaking, it's a great way to meet interesting people, which is kind of one of the reasons I do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I tell you, it is a, well, look at me. I'm, I'm blessed here. I got, you right. know, Christine McCarran on. Come on. Like, what? I mean, right. I get all these one percenters on my show. It's incredible. <laughs> right. And I get all the knowledge, right? I mean, listen, if the guests or, or the audience, you know, they got to download, they got to, I always get the information. Like, right. Some of them go, Oh yeah, I've caught a couple of shows. I got to get some more shows. Yeah. You should do that. But I get all of them. 
So like, I, <laughs> I feel pressure that I got to get better. <laughs> like, <laughs> I dropped world and data and information for the last like two and a half years. And like, man, I should be smarter by now. Um, <laughs> so you've got this business with your brokers. You got a women's touch home, which is like your redecoration and renovation company. Is that right? Yeah, a woman's touch. That's yeah, I forgot about that business. Yeah, we do some home renovations and stuff. Yeah, that's good. And then you've got you remember the Boston Business Women, Northeastern U grad. That's pretty awesome. And so one thing that most people don't know about the Queen Bee, which actually makes sense though now, is that you do have your private pilot license. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you gotta fly. Even though I shouldn't you gotta fly. Shouldn't be able to, but I I can. (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't be able to. I was so inspired by the bee, by the bumblebee, and my dad had a plane. You know, so that, that was like, you know. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And uh, I laugh because I was talking to someone, we were talking about uh, her sister as a pilot, right? And she was like, man, this is so awesome. And she was talking to her dad and she was talking about, you know, women empowerment, you know, the, they're not really hiring men. And she's like, man. Sisters keeps growing in the pilot industry, and hey, she goes, I think she knows she's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> like the bumblebee. Oh, and like, no one's going to tell me what I can and can't do. And I think that's the bumblebee story, right? Like, you can't be told what you can and can't do. I think it's so good. Uh, let's talk a little bit about growing up. You're a New Hampshire kid, pretty rural New Hampshire. Yeah. So- yeah, it's sort of like a you know, boring little town. We had to drive about 25 minutes to get to a grocery store type of thing. Wow. Did you have a McDonald's? No. Are you kidding? We had one little breakfast shop, breakfast restaurant, and that was it. That was it. So did you grow up thinking, yeah, I'm going to move to the big city of Boston. I'm going to set the world on fire. And, you know, I'll probably own half of Boston real estate by the end of it and empower my inner millionaires. What I'm going to do here. Like, You know, uh, eventually I thought that, but it took a long, long, I mean, I just turned 60 last weekend. It was, I was not one of those right out of the womb, you know, winners. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, I mean, you have done a lot and wow. I mean, now you look back on 20 year old Christine and a little bit different era, right? They're not saying like, Oh, Hey, Christine, go start buying real estate. Like, Go own your own destiny here. You know, be be a guru because you are. And, you know, I'm sure that's not what the world's telling you. Is that fair? At that age, absolutely not. Especially in that town. There was one road out, get married to a rich guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was the advice. Thanks. That was the road out. That was the advice. Like, <laughs> wow. Did you go to public school for that advice? Like, what yeah. are you getting yeah. No extra charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was government subsidy. That was the, uh, that was the education. <laughs> so, I mean, were you a good student? I was an excellent student. A yeah. Very good student. So learning was never hard. Like you enjoyed it. I did. I always enjoyed it. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, well, like every kid, you're smart. So nobody likes you. So you have to dumb it down. Oh, you think you're so smart. No, I don't. Honest. I'm really dumb. But then they. <laughs> Really, I'm just, just like you. Yeah. <laughs> you look back and think of that like I should have handled that differently. Like, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I'm way smarter than you are. I don't know. I'm wasting my energy and time talking about this stupid stuff with you. Well, I mean, it is especially I think as a woman, like getting comfortable with actually. I mean, you know, you're not like better than other people, but you're better at some things than other people. Yeah. So just you know, own that. But yeah, it's not that easy. It's, it's an interesting yeah. premise, right? That. 
I think God gives us gifts, right? And, and, you know, obviously some people like, man, I mean, not that they do not practice, right? But you see people play the violin and go, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. And you know, the hard work at it. I got a lot of respect for like the bodybuilding community. I don't really want to do that, but like, I know the sacrifice that goes in to look like that, right? And often gifted in these things. And it's like, I should apologize to people because I'm gifted at this. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm sorry. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty I, happy about it. <laughs> yeah. And like, at the same time, like, hey, math and science may come easy to me. And, and you can run a 40 in 4.3 seconds. Like, what a gift that is. I'm not going to be doing that, but like, that's your gift. And that's awesome. Should, you know what? I should slow down. I run too fast. Like, <laughs> no one ever said that to athletes, right? Like, no, 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 you gotta stop running so fast. Like, this is bad. Like, it's very interesting how in one area we, we just celebrate differences in the God given skill and talent. And in another area, we almost want to suppress it. Yeah. It's not cool to be smart. I mean, I think that's still the case in school, unfortunately, that unless you're in a special school, it's just not that cool. You know, it's funny because I do think. From the adult side, I think technology's changed that. You know, you, you know, I think the tech geek, you know, who's yeah, making yeah. billions, like, dang, how hot is he? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he hasn't showered for like two months, but that guy's making a billion dollars. You know, like, and it's like super smart, working his tail off, focused, just using the gift and creating massive value across all these lines. Right. And yet, you know, we're overlooking a lot because we respect that gift. Like, like we're overlooking. But you said though, right there, Trent, you said that guy, and that's what mm. it is. Smart guys are okay. It's okay to be a smart guy, and that's sexy, yeah. and that's cool. But to be a smart woman, I still think there's just a little. It's a little bit different. I mean, and yeah, I'm not uh, like I'm not this feminist. You know, you're not going to get lost yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. but I do think it is a little bit different still for women. Yeah, I can't identify with it, right? Because I, I've never been in that skin, right? So. I, I can't say I know that, you know, a lot of my clients in leadershipity, like almost 70% of our leaders are women. And so, man, and, you know, we, we go through all the challenges, right? And this challenge has been discussed in numerous conversations, like the real difficulty of even having a good partner that respects, like, yeah, I run this multi million dollar operation and I'm doing this and, I've got these other things. Everyone's, whoa, how smart are you? Like, and you're earning more than I am. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I am. And like, oh, we can't go out. Well, why? <laughs> like, oh, because your car's nicer than mine. Like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, it's just, it's so crazy um, that we get these ideas in our mind and they stay. Even when we know they're wrong. Like, I have a stigma in my life, Christine, you'll appreciate this. He's like my dad, an accountant, right? He's got this free blood out of a turnip, like, you know, four <laughs> kids, you know, going at it and trying to create value. And, and he did a good job of that and raising us. And, and, but like gas, you know, when we were kids, or like when I was a kid, Christine, and you're a little older than I am, just slightly. And, you know, gas was under a dollar. And so it was like my dad would go across town because the gas was two cents cheaper. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you have to drive there and use gas to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was always trying to figure out 
the valuation prod, prod, you know, the, the proposition of the value of it, right? There's a spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I should probably create that and make it an app, right? And so, but you know, and I do. I have Gas Buddy on my phone. I'm looking at fuel. I'm almost wrecking my car because I'm figuring out the lowest gas price in my in my county, right? And and it's like I know it's not going to serve me to drive five miles out of my way for five cents a gallon at four dollars a gallon. Yet it's conditioned. I mean, I still look. I mean, I wonder how much of my life I've actually spent on this because it's significant. It's significant. It's Once you start giving your time some value, then that whole equation is going to go right out the window. Yeah, right. That's what I need to do. I just not value my time enough. So, good point. So let's talk about our show is very focused on. The quote, winners when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. And talk to me about, you know, coming up in this environment, you know, before you're a big success and some of the challenges you face. Walk us through one of those that you're in the game and you're like, whoa, I'm not winning here. <laughs> this is not going well. Uh, I thought this was going to be a good idea, but not so much. And what do you do? Walk us through that. So it has to be about what actually makes you happy. You yeah. know, I started this. I remember one of my little entrepreneurial ventures, <laughs> that term serial entrepreneur. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Here. I had started an importing company. I used to import stuff from Egypt and Morocco and I wanted to bring back like a container load of stuff because the whole freight thing wasn't working. So I went to score, you know, the service core retired yeah. executives. Yes. And, you know, we talked all three thing through and he said, okay, so that's your business plan. What's your backup plan? And I said, what? Like a plan B? What are you talking plan about? Plan B? I said, no, there's no backup plan. This is just going to work, you know? And then at a certain point, I decided that the vision I had for it, which was traveling and shopping and like having a great time, like going out in the world and, and buying stuff, ended up being more like a drudgery where I was just packing boxes and shipping stuff and going to trade shows and all that stuff. So I guess... I mean, I, at that point, I said, okay, I'm not quitting because I can't do this thing. I'm quitting because it just isn't the fun that I thought it was going to be. Yeah. That, yeah. I guess that doesn't really answer your question, actually. Now that I no, think it's about good it. because, like, you know, in that, in that situation, you're, you envision a different dream, a different yeah. result for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And then when you actually get the result of the game that you're playing, you're like, I don't even want to play this game. This isn't the game I signed on for. I was signing on for the, World Traveler game and right. like the uh, fun five star and buying you know high end buyer stuff. Exactly. By the way, tell me just a quick pivot here. The young lady from rural New Hampshire goes home and goes, "Oh yeah, I've got an importing business from <laughs> Egypt and Morocco." I mean, what are the hometown folks saying when you're like talking about this? Are they just giving you a look like you're oh, speaking yeah. Latin? So here's something that one of my friends said. Oh yeah, I've been to Morocco and Epcot. I said, uh huh, <laughs> because that's equivalent. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, see the correlation. Know, yeah, they were trying to find a connection because they yeah. just didn't, yeah. do not. Yeah. They just didn't compute. <laughs> it's funny, right? It's just yeah. funny, right? The, the thing <laughs> wow. All right, so let's talk a little bit about. The real estate. I mean, you've been in this game a long time and there's a lot of challenges in this thing. And the funny thing is, is that there's always a narrative in real estate and it's always negative. Oh, yeah. It's weird. 
I mean, like, so it, I don't know what the stat is. It's like 90% of our millionaires in America, like, own, you know, made their money in real estate, something like yeah. that. I remember there was a stat thrown out there years ago. Yeah. Well, and, even Warren Buffett owns real estate. He doesn't yeah, talk right, about right. it, but, yeah. <laughs> but he does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He doesn't talk about it much, but he does own it. I think part of his asset acquisition on businesses is because how much real estate they own, right? right. Is like, exactly. I don't know if I love the factories, but listen, you know, the real estate that owns all these factories yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And so he understands the value of it. And, yeah. and so here's this business that gets a constant negative connotation. Rates are too high. There's too many people in the market. Things are going to go wrong and I got to fix toilets. I mean, it's just a constant like, narrative of whoa 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 and it's just like wow and so what's it like being in that every day are are your people doing it too are you are, are you getting them to avoid that in some way walk us through that i mean i'm not gonna lie it is challenging for buyers right now right i mean so yeah. you've got a house at three percent interest and you want to downsize and you say you find out that you're mortgage payment at your new house is going to be more. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'll just stay here, right? So yeah. obviously there's no new inventory. I mean, there's very little inventory coming on and something comes on the market and everybody's like, they're like animals attacking it. So that yeah. is a thing. But at the end of the day, it's mindset. I mean, I have people say to me who, because I help women to become real estate investors and I'll have them say, oh, well, you know, my grandfather had real estate and, you know, his tenants didn't pay their rent. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that did happen twice, right? Yeah. And like, let's go 12 months uh, over a 40-year period. Like, yeah, that happened twice, right? Like, but 40 times 12 over eight <laughs> properties. Like, you know, like, come on. This yeah. is not an everyday thing. Like, every one of the properties not not paying rent. Well, and, and did he know how to, you know, was he just a, like a guy who just didn't know how to screen tenants and didn't know how to yeah. manage them? It just, you know, was afraid of confrontation or, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be your story. But if you want to find a horror story about real estate, it's not very difficult. Everybody not has far one. away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you think that, is it the fear that keeps people away? Pulling Hill talks about a fear of failure, but I think at some level, we all have a little bit of a fear of success. That's sort of the other side of that, right? You, if I succeed, then I could fail. If I never succeed, then I guess I'm just here at perpetual failure. <laughs> it's yeah. not like a step down. So... Yeah, I think it's fear of the unknown, of success, of, and even from my perspective, a lot of my life I battled this fear of being different than everybody else that, you know, than my family. Like, oh, I'm going to be smarter than these other kids in school or, you know, more successful than my family. I'm going to make more money than this person, that person. And just, it's a thing. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, somehow you, you want to just be part of the group you don't want to like poke your head out because then all of a sudden you're you're you can get shot right much more easily and keep yourself firmly ensconced in the foxhole with everybody else is different better i think different is a hell of a lot better you do you have to, yeah i mean I, I like being different as a matter yeah. of fact i i think it's kind of a great great thing but it's that i did not feel that way as a young person i do feel like we've started I don't know if we're there yet, but I think we've started to embrace differences in a different way that seems more positive than it used to be. Because when I was a kid, like different was, whoa, like they're different. You know, like we're just so filled with a lack of knowledge of different, right? Like, oh my gosh, you have to use a wheelchair to go to school? Like that's different. Like that scares me and I don't know anything about that. And so we're uneasy, right? Like we don't celebrate that difference. 
were uneasy about it. And man, I wish people would lean into it more uh, and, and celebrate the difference. Well, and be curious. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, you don't well, like, Whitman, come on. Somebody's different and you think, well, should I ask them about this? Because you have a third eye. What's that like? You know, like, should I pretend I don't see that third eye? Should yeah. I, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, it should be okay to ask people, like, you say that you're they instead of him or her. What does that feel like? How does that come across? You know, because people are just like, oh, weirdo, you know, like, they're not like me. Oh, get away, you know. And really, I think if we, like, talk to people and then you can just, I don't know, it makes you better sustain yourself, you know, to, to have those experiences. But Yeah, I really feel that, like, as a kid. Kid meaning, I don't know what that is, like, if that's... <laughs> 16 to 26. I don't, I don't know the age range, but like, you know, maybe to 40. <laughs> like, but like, I really feel like I was that person. I was the Walt Whitman of like, I wasn't curious. I was judgmental and, yeah. and I wasn't interested to learn more. I knew that, you know, uh, someone wasn't like me and that made me a little uneasy. And the energy and time to actually take that effort and be curious about it and lean into that. I just didn't know how to do that well, right? I think that I learned that along the way. And it's a very powerful quote. So, you know, one of the things that both Christine and I talked about was this battle in leadership on confidence versus arrogance and how that plays in a role as a leader and the challenges that come with it. And I was faced with that adversity as a young guy and in sports. And I really felt like, um, I'd studied a lot of self-talk and how to improve myself and, you know, just going right back to the children's book of, I think I can, I think I can, and a little engine that could and how important, you know, that self-talk became because I was being overrun in myself as a young athlete with all the negative people telling me what I can't do. I was caught in the bumblebee. I was being told what I can't do and you know, you're not supposed to be able to hit that high average and you're, you shouldn't be stealing this many bases. <laughs> and I'm like going, man, like, but I was also being told, like, you know, from people who didn't really have knowledge about the top level that I wasn't good enough or I wasn't strong enough or I wasn't this. And I mean, I'm still developing as a 14, 15 year old kid and I was already being kind of withheld like the bumblebee. Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. Yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. You know, people that play at that level don't look like you. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to look like 14 forever. <laughs> like, right. you know, 14, man. I know I'm five one and, you know, a hundred pounds dripping wet. Like, but I don't think I'm going to do that forever. You know, I'm going to be a whole five, six, 175. I'm going to be huge. <laughs> like, look out. I never really got to that six, six. I knew that wasn't <laughs> happening, you know, looking at my parents, but yeah, but there was that where that. Man, that self-talk really helped and it really got me going and it really got me on a way of, you know, and, and I think the confidence didn't come from the self-talk. The confidence came that when I started doing the reps, my fears went away. Like the worst thing that could happen was I failed and I didn't fail much. Like it worked and we figured out a way to do stuff and we tried stuff and I kept like applying this theory over everything, over the we try risky stuff in the song and dance troupe, you know, the Glee Club. I was in Glee Club, right? And we try risky stuff and like, see how it works out. Like there's a couple of nights we kinda of bombed on stage. It didn't didn't go great, right? <laughs> but like nobody died. Like, yeah, all right, that didn't go as well as we thought. 
I was still utterly scared of the solos and stuff like that. But, you know, going into a group, you know, some strength in numbers. But I do remember, you know, facing that time when kids were coming to me going like, man, you are so arrogant. Man, that is not how I wanted to be perceived. But I did feel like, I mean, I was just totally, you know, risk free. I didn't, I didn't care. I was like, you know, so far things haven't proved out. Everything I thought was going to happen never happens. And so I developed this skin and this tolerance for risk because it turned out like most of the risk was in my mind. It wasn't really real risk of happening. And there's definitely a risk of things going wrong. But when I really looked at it, if I had to run the numbers, it was a three to five percent chance. It wasn't like this is a 95 percent chance. You know, you're going to fall off the building like, well, I'm inside the building. I don't think I'm going to fall off. It's like, you know, and so, yes, it could happen if I was out on the roof doing things, uh, walking the edge. Uh, the risk goes up. Right. But I'm not planning on that. So, you know, I think I'm OK. And so talk to me a little bit about, you know, as people see this confidence in you, like they recognize like you've taken some things on that probably most people aren't willing to do. And it hasn't always gone perfect, right? It hasn't been like everything like, oh, yeah, every company I start is like sunshine and rainbows, right? <laughs> like just, just a straight like hockey stick chart of growth and development right. money, right? So talk to us about that confidence quotient, what you learned along the way. Well, what you're saying, Trent, is exactly the way it is. Like that's how confidence develops. You set a goal and you achieve it. You set a goal and you achieve it. And you're like, hey, you know, you get a little momentum going and it becomes just a way of life. It becomes intoxicating and you just want to keep, you know, we're not supposed to just like say, okay, did it. You know, we, it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? So we're always looking at what's next. Yeah. And that's the way we're designed. That's the way we're built. But I mean, you're talking about the difference between arrogance and confidence. I think some of that's maturity. You know, you just like, you realize that I don't need everybody else to understand what I am or what I'm doing or whatever. I just need to, as long as I know that I'm good at this thing, then it's okay. So let's kind of break into that, like the perception. If you internalize that, if I know I'm confident, do I really care what other people think if they think I'm arrogant? We talked a little bit about uh, this offline. Is there's, there's certain people in the media, politicians, in the world, like, you know, they don't fit people's narrative because I don't think they give a rip about our narrative, <laughs> like what we think of them, right? And it's kind of like, hey, man, maybe you should care what I think. And like, <laughs> and like uh, I really don't give a rip, you know, like, and it comes off that way. And I think people are hurt that they don't care. But you can't care. You can't care. That's the th whole thing. You know, if I could make you happy, then maybe this other person's going to be unhappy. And then, right, the word that I think we're all kind of talking around is selfish. Mm -hmm. And I happen to think selfishness is like the key to success. If I can make myself happy. Oh. Right, you know, really, I mean, because as soon as you, you waste so much energy trying to like make sure this one likes you and that one likes you and that, you know, oh, what if I, what if somebody doesn't, when I developed, like, so the Beehive is my co-working space, right? The Beehive Community. What's it called? Beehive Community. Nice. And this That's, is where in Boston? Little it's actually out. in Tingsboro. So it's like on the New Hampshire, it's greater Lowell, New Hampshire border kind of thing. Okay. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's, it's the Beehive Community. And I designed it to be a place that I want to hang out. And I just figure that'll be great because then I'll attract people like me. <laughs> people who want a different kind of space who don't want like a feng shui space. You think it's too like touchy feely. Hey, stay home. I don't, I don't think I'll like you anyway. So just stay home and, and we'll be good. You know, you know, what if I had completely diluted my focus and said, well, I have to have this for this kind of person, and this for this kind of person. Like, I, I mean, it'd be in development for the rest of its life. 
you just have to be like, what do I want? What's going to serve me? And then, right, it's like what you were, ta- what you were talking about. Put your own life mask, life face mask on, your own air mask before you help other people because you can't help other people unless you're already breathing and whole and, right? Feed yourself first. That used to be my motto because I'm more about food than I am about air, strangely. Yeah. But yeah, oh, feed dear. yourself first and Breathe then. <laughs> And then you give what you give freely, right? If I'm full, like, hey, yeah, you can have the rest, no problem. But if I'm like, I'm going to give it to you and then I want you to share back with me, well, you didn't give me any of your food, you know what I mean? Like, I'm full, I'm happy, I'm giving to you completely freely, and I just feel like that's more healthy. It's a very interesting concept here because there's so much out. I mean, so much, Christine, about the selfless leader. Is selfless. I, I'm a selfless leader. And you know, I hear the term a ton, right? I've never used it because I don't understand it, I guess. And, <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm not selfless, that I don't think of others. That's not to say that. I have a lot of responsibility. And if all of a sudden I stop doing and managing my responsibility, which is a full-time job for sure and, and plus plus, there's a lot of things that happen and go bad for a lot of other people. And that's not really fair, right? Like, so I've got all that too. And I always think about, like, you know, as a leader, we talk about with a lot of our groups, when you have 200 employees in your organization, you're making decisions for 800. Because when you have an organization, primarily you have a breadwinner, whoever is that primary income for a household works at this professional establishment. And then they have 2.2 kids and a spouse or a significant, and it's like, it's usually a house of four. And so all of a sudden, if that goes away, there are all sorts of people impacted. And so you have to think as a leader, like, hey, how does this serve everyone involved? And sometimes me serving everyone involved may look like me serving me first, but maybe that's what has to happen to keep everything going. And I don't think people always get that. I honestly think the only way you can be a selfless leader is if that's where your self-esteem comes from, right? If it makes you feel good, believe that you're like, I think we do this with our kids, right? We're like, I'm doing this because I want for my kids. I'm doing this for the good of my kids because, right? The other side of it, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to respect myself as a parent. So it always comes back to us. It's just, you just have to admit it. It's an interesting challenge because I think there's typically a parent in any equation that, in my opinion, and this might be under my own roof, I'm not sure, (laughs) is that once I think giving too much and I have been charged with being relatively harsh on my kids, right? And I'm like, I just grew up where my parents didn't helicopter, they didn't hover and started working at 10 years old. And so I believe in, you know, I I love Lincoln's quote, right? Lincoln's like, don't ever do something for somebody that they can do themselves. You are not helping them, right? And so that's kind of like that cutoff for me is like, when you get to about 14 years old, about eighth, ninth grade, your grade eight, grade nine, you're like a little young adult. You should be able to do about 90% of the things on your own and then nothing wrong with asking Chris for help. Nothing wrong with getting some, you know, assistance here and there when you need it. But like, hey, uh, can you make dinner for me? Hey, can, can you put gas in my car? Like, what? No. <laughs> like, no, like, you have your part. Like, hey, we will make a dinner. And as a family, you, you'll you be there on the time. And if you're not, you're on your own. Like, just to be clear, like, 
this is the dinner time. You're not there. So you're on your own. <laughs> and so, yeah, I see it just the catering is, I don't think it's serving people. You're taking away their opportunity to set a goal and achieve it, right? They're not going to get their self-esteem. They're not going to get their confidence if you're just doing everything for them because it's learned helplessness. Yeah. Can you imagine walking into mother of the year who is just like prideful about how well the homes run, how well I care for my kids and saying to someone, I think you're taking away your kid's ability to have self-confidence and attain and achieve goals in their life. Because that's a, that's a big takeaway, right? I mean, that is a, there's tons of statistics about like kids who inherit money, kids who are, things are done for them. They just don't have, they're just, I don't want to say they're losers, but they just don't have that opportunity to really figure out who they are, what they're all about. Well, and I think, I, I think, you know, one of the things that really serves in this is that, you know, I've always said confidence is about preparation, prep and reps, repetition, preparation, repetition, prep and reps. And so, you know, getting someone ready for what's about to happen, you're modeling that. There's a lot of different ways. They go to school, they study, there's different things you do that. And, and if you don't know, you go to YouTube and somebody shows you how to do it, right? Which is awesome. <laughs> I never thought YouTube was going to be that, by the way. Like, I thought YouTube was like an entertaining video and now it's I like, know, but it's fantastic. I can learn how to like change an axle on my car, apparently. And so, not, not that I'm going to do it probably, but like, I could. <laughs> and so, it's like amazing what's out there for information and, and yet, we are taking that opportunity for prep and reps away, especially the reps. And then we're going, wow, I don't know why you don't have any confidence in this. Exactly. I don't know why you're so arrogant because you think, right? I mean, that's where I think yeah. arrogant comes from because they really deep down don't know whether they can do it. They just feel entitled. Like, yeah. you know, well, everyone's always giving me stuff. And so you have to give me stuff too. Like, yeah. no, <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't. Like, that's not how it works. Well, and then you, you find that place of adversity and you have absolutely no skills to deal with zero. it. Zero. Nothing. Zero. You're just help, you're totally helpless. You've got to have an absolute, like, this, I don't know if this freaks you out. It freaks me out all the time. I mean, it's 60 years of age. By the way, you look awesome. It's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> and when you meet, like, 16-year-old youth, you know, a young lady from a rural community comes in, you meet her, and you're like, man, this thing has got so much resource and data to it. And someone goes, I don't know how I'd find my way down the two blocks to this other place. Like, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to get there. And you're like, what? Like, well, you know, it, it starts like the real estate. Uh, well, it's raining. Well, <laughs> you know, the cabs are, you know, not out anymore. Well, I don't know if I have an Uber account. Well, you know, and it just keeps going on in, in these things. And you're looking at like going, if I'd have had this stuff at 16, I'd probably own yeah. the moon. I don't know. <laughs> like it is, like, right? I remember one time I was at the score office, you know, I was telling you about my experience with score. I was at the office and the guy who I was talking to, my mentor was uh, also on the switchboard that day. And somebody calls in and they're like, you know, how do I get there? How do I, and he's like giving them stuff. And I, I said, just tell them that don't bother because you cannot be an entrepreneur if you can't even find the score office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Forget it. Just give it up. That, Stay that's home. It's like pre-qualifier number one. If you <laughs> exactly. can't get here, you don't belong here. Right? Like, yeah. You don't belong. If well, you can't figure out your way to get to an address that you already have, it's just not in it for you. Forget it. So let's talk quickly about, I mean, this is great about, you know, I have, I have a, a lot of experience around three communities, pro athletes, entrepreneurs, and 
high level military person and special forces things like that. Man, these people are the absolute most resolute challenge solvers that you'll ever meet in your life. You know, first of all, problems not even a factor, right? It's all just challenge because they just hear a challenge and they perk up like, oh my gosh, there's going to be a challenge. What do we do? Like, uh, you know, like, and it's an immediate reaction. It's visceral. It's physical. They're almost driven by it. And so what do you see out there in your community? You got this co-working space. People are going to come in. I love the, I love this qualifier. I think score, if you're out there listening, that's a qualifier. <laughs> if they cannot find your building and office, <laughs> they are not allowed to actually come into score and get any government assistance. For that. <laughs> okay, like zero, like shut them down, turn them right away. There. It's not okay. <laughs> So it's interesting because people have, like when I was going to Egypt, right? You go to Egypt and it's, it's a little bit, you know, by myself, right? Because I would yeah. do my little import thing. And there's armed guards with these big machine guns on every yep. block and whatever. Not and, you know, people say, you know, how can you, aren't you afraid to go there? Like, dude, I'm afraid not to do stuff. I'm way more afraid not to do things, like to miss out. I'm like, my FOMO is way bigger than any sort of logical fear yeah. of people with machine guns. It's just like, yeah. no problems that's what like when you talk about oh there's a problem there's a challenge it's like you you just get excited you know your blood yeah. is just like yeah so people oh you know oh there's nothing there's no inventory and you know my grandfather lost his real estate and you know somebody my cousin's father's brother's sister's cousin had this bad experience so i'm just gonna stay home like that shit makes me mental come on Come on, get excited, you know, like get big, find something that you're afraid to do and just go do it because it's yeah. awesome. You know, it's invigorating. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing about the invigorating part is facing a discomfort and actually getting comfortable in it, right? Where you actually find out like, whoa, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. And you know, traveling internationally that you bring up is, is such a good example of, I remember being in like South America and you know, of course, like you said, armed guards everywhere, which, by the way, made me feel very safe. I thought, man, if someone goes off like this dude, this, this, this woman right over here is going to gun somebody down. Like, she's got an AK-47 right there. Like, like I'm not worried about it here because I'm not going to be the one acting out, right? So, like, she's not going to like to be pointed at me. And so, you know, I thought, like, that's good for me. And so I actually had a level of comfort in that as I travel. And I remember talking to his family, rural Ecuador, and I remember just like, oh my gosh, New York City, I would never go there. Like I saw those planes going to the buildings. Like that place is scary. And I was like, hmm, I'm in New York all the time. Like I don't think like that. Like, but yet that's a great perspective. Like if you're sitting in there in rural Ecuador and you don't even see buildings that are obviously a hundred stories tall. I mean, it's bizarre and it's a discomfort. It's what we don't know. And when we really talk about this fear, a lot of it's coming down to just our lack of knowledge and our willingness to go and find out. Exactly. I just go to Canada. Like, oh, everybody in the United States has a gun. I'm not, I mean, it's dangerous there, right? Um, Everybody's got a gun. Like, well, maybe they do, but <laughs> they're not bothering me. It's so funny how people read a story and make an assumption on it, right? And like, like this journalist has to know everything. Right? Like, well, exactly. you know, they've done a bunch of research and everyone in America actually owns a gun. Like, what? Don't think there's 330 million guns here? Like, <laughs> it's an interesting concept of what we build up in our mind to be truth. And what we, and, and I guess what we choose to let in. As you keep progressing here on your shows and what you're teaching people, 
what what do you think is one of the most important lessons right now for leaders out there from your show? I know you you teach a lot on you know women and and empowering them and creating wealth, which is so important. I mean, you're talking about the empowerment of the inner millionaire a lot, and that's obviously with the book. So you've got a lot of knowledge of out there and going for it. What do you tell people today that are, are sitting on the sidelines? I mean, I don't want to say like, just do it because that's already been said, but. <laughs> yeah. And, and Nike would consider that an infringement. <laughs> I think they would. I think they would. But, but that is kind of what it boils down to. It's like figure out, here's a place to start. Write your obituary. How do you want to be remembered? And then just work backwards. Like, do you yeah. want to be remembered? Like, here's somebody who hoped they could do something and never got around to it. Oh, that's a great one. How about, you, you know what I mean? Or do you want to be remembered as a person who, accomplish something, who did something, and then figure out what do I need to do this afternoon that is going to allow me to be that person who I want to be when I, you know, wh- what I want people to say about me when I'm gone. You know? I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I know it's been said and whatever, but you really do need to think about the end and not just like the end, like, oh, I'm going to have X amount of money, right? This uh, big focus on, I'm going to have this much money. Think about who you, because it, it's, right, it's who you become in the process. Whatever, whether or not you ever climb the mountain, you're going to get stronger and you're going to, you know, just training for that marathon is going to make you a better person, even if you don't win, right? It's just, just do it. I mean, I guess that just keeps coming up. That's yeah. I love the idea and I hadn't thought about the obit. It's really good. I do have a lot of people write two things, like, you know, really very distinctly what they're goal is what they really really want like what they've been dreaming about like what have you been dreaming about right and i want you to be as vivid as you can on that dream of exactly how it's going to look when you get there and that's hard that's a hard lesson for people to actually really start sitting down that's not done in like 15 minutes and so when people spend a couple weeks at that and really get tight on that you're like did it i feel like i probably much like you felt like i wrote my book (laughs) you know i'm finished but yet now that it's there, it's time to do the work. And, yeah. and like, how do we make that a reality? And it's very easy to back into that. In my opinion, it's very easy to back into that. And if I don't know how to back into that, someone else does. Like yeah. someone has probably done it before. And like, this is where mentoring takes on. And this yeah. is where you get coaching and you get people will come around you that will help hold you accountable to that standard that you're going for. And it's amazing what can happen on these little steps every day. But people, I'm just, I'm not a very good sideline person. I'm not a very good fan. <laughs> I like to play, you know, like I, I like, to, and I, and when I don't play, I'm like, Hey, coach McCarron, why am I not playing? Like I should be playing. Like I'm better than somebody. <laughs> I'm here, right? guy, come on. <laughs> yeah. How do I get on the field? How do I get on the court? How do I get in the game? And, and I'm okay that. Maybe I'm not ready to be in the game today. And I, and I respect Coach McCarron because you told me that, right? But show me what I need to do to be ready to be in the game because I'll do it if you show me because I just can't watch anymore. <laughs> like I just, I just got to get in there. But somebody's sitting next to you and in the back of their mind, they're going, Oh, like, what happens if he picks me? What if I don't do a good job? What if I can't, yeah. you know, what if I, you know, fumble and what if I, this happens yeah. and, you know, blah, blah, and, and, and then I could break my kneecap and, you know, I could get an injury and then what, then what's going to happen? I'll never make any more money and I'll have to retire at 24. Right. So it's all about what's going on right here. Yeah. No. And I, and I think that is right now always, I think that tugs a little bit at everybody at some point, but I love the old quote. I spent 90% of my life worrying about things that never happened. Right. 
And, you know, like we run these things in our minds and like, man, like, I don't think you're going to bust your kneecap because you got in. <laughs> like, you know, like, but, you know, like, I appreciate the concern. Like, it's not that it couldn't happen. And there is maybe a, a I don't know, maybe a half a percent of a chance. I, I don't know if it's that high, but like, it has happened before. And so it's back to your real estate. Hey, remember that one time when my sister's uncle's mailman's cousin's sister had that thing go bad in real estate? Like, yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. dangerous. I'm scared. Exactly. Of it. Never mind all the millions of people who have made a <laughs> shit ton of money doing yeah. it. Forget about them. Yeah. But That's it's also, amazing. I mean, I don't want to, like, again, I'm not a feminist. I'm not doing, like, the big raw thing. But a woman who's taken a lot of her life and put her kids as a priority, and now they're at a point the kids are gone, and you're, like, sort of empty nesting, and you're like, okay, what am I going to do now? You know, helping people to bridge the gap between where they are now and the dreams they had when they were younger. I mean, maybe they don't look exactly the same, but, you know, that person who had those goals and dreams is still in there. You know, it's easier, I think, for women to kind of bury those dreams a little bit. And then be thinking like, oh, I just don't, all I ever wanted to be was a good mother. But probably that's not true. Probably there were some other things that were important to you at one time and just plug back into that and get energized again. I don't know. I just feel like. Well, I love that suggestion for anyone out there who's who's done that. And I think it's really admirable that, so, and I, I have admiration for someone who said, hey, these are my things. I'm putting a pause on that right now. I'm going to hit the pause button on that. I'm going to do this 20 year stint. I got to raise these kids. I got a role that became a higher priority for me and yeah. for this family. And I, I got a lot of admiration for that. And obviously both sexes have done that, but this is definitely, you know, more side on the women's side. And so boom, now all of a sudden, okay, unpause, like it's time to come back and look at this again. And it may look different. That's okay. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be like, yeah, you know, 17. I, I really wanted to be Barbie, actually. I wanted to be a ballerina. Like, well, okay. you know, the movie's out. There you go. So, like, but like, you can go back and figure out what it is that that really drives you and stirs your heart and gets you going. Because I think, you know, you you know the difference between people that are living and the people that are just they're just yeah, they're just existing. Ticking the clock. Yeah, it's like this meatloaf song, scary. right? You're only killing what? It's a meatloaf song, right back, right? You know that meatloaf song? He says you're only killing time, and it'll kill you right back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Meatloaf, yeah, such a, such an American poet. Like who knew, <laughs> who knew that meatloaf knew so much? I mean, right? like, and and probably he's way better now since he just passed, right? So he's really you profound. Know, Paradise by the dashboard, like who knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Well, Christine, tell the audience where they can find you. Well, I'm here in Tingsboro. <laughs> no, um, the easiest way is just chrismccarron.com. Keep it simple. That's the website that'll, you know, allow you to eventually find your way to everywhere else. Yeah. And yeah. I'm on, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and every other social media Same thing. Same All on the Chris McCarron? Yeah. It's either Chris McCarron or Boston Ari Guru. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not consistent. There's some stuff out there with Beehive. It was, I have a, a labeling, a branding issue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but luckily, I appreciate that, I appreciate that for multiple there. brand owners, how challenging that is, right? Yeah. See, my title here is like, you know, it's a little war and peace here on my title. <laughs> branding issues. I should just write that. Ghost Trent Clark, branding issues. So, yeah, so I really appreciate that. So, Chris, thank you so much. I, it was, uh, it was it's fabulous. Been a real queen bee on. You know, it's not every day I get the queen bee. Right? You know? <laughs> right? So... Great time uh, joining us on the Winners Find a Way show. Chris McCarron, Queen B of the Beehive Brokerage. And just thrilled to pick up her book, Empower Your Inner Millionaire. Love that. A Woman's Guide to Financial Independence Through Real Estate Investing. 
No, it's all right. Good. It's this little yellow yeah. house. Yeah, it's a house sitting on a stack of money. Yeah, nice. Yeah, all I like right, that. See, there you go, women. <laughs> if you, you want a house sitting on a stack of money, <laughs> pick up this book because Christian, you basically assure it, right? Like it's almost, it's not a guarantee, but it's almost a guarantee. So, yep, check out our podcast. Also, more great information on both of those. So, until next time on the Winners Find a Way show, check us out every Friday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern and 9.30 a.m. Pacific. We'll see you again. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.